0: Find love at first drive and start shopping
1: now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome back to the fantasy football forecast. It is a very special Tuesday of draft week. Collectors edition episode right here. I'm Andy Barons, as you may already know. Uh, and I am joined today by a member of the, I'll call him a member of the Yahoo Extended family. Uh, you know him hopefully from our content partner, NBC Sports Edge. He is a college football expert, an FSWA award winner back in the day, not so long ago. He just published a seven round mock draft, also has a top 500 draft ranking that recently dropped. Thorne Eystrom, welcome. Good to see you. Hey, it's it's great to have you. Obviously, this is uh, well-timed. No accident that Thor is with us this week, uh, obviously, because we got a draft coming up. Uh, hopefully, you guys have already learned plenty about the top prospects from Liz Loza and Eric Edholm's Rookie Snapshot series on this here podcast. If you have not, if you've missed any of those episodes, go check them out uh, today today. We're, we're just going to hit a, a total grab bag of, of topics and takes from Thor, uh, not just on the draft's first day, but hopefully on some later players of interest as well. Uh, first, I, I, I would be remiss if we didn't deal with the rumor of the week, the story of the week. Uh, Peter King of NBC Sports was among the multiple national nfl writers uh, and you know when multiple national writers have the same story simultaneously that uh, a team really wants it out there that uh, julio jones uh, might be on atlanta's trade block this uh, this was not difficult to guess at before the rumors started Uh, I believe that any deal would actually have to officially go down after June 1st for like dead cap hit reasons that aren't very fun to discuss. Atlanta is a totally cap crunch team. They have actually a a relatively low number of players under contract and they have a bad cap situation. They're coming off a brutal season. Julio, of course, 32 years old. He dealt with some injuries last year, I, I think has a reputation as kind of an oft injured player. But actually, in the previous six seasons, he'd he'd never played fewer than 14 games. So he's been pretty bankable while also carrying, you know, an injury prone tag. But uh, he's obviously he's an all time talent, makes any team better. Any team would welcome him. Uh, He is pretty expensive. Uh, I'll just I I know you're a college college football guy, Thor, but uh, I'll start right off with this. Do you you have a favorite landing spot for
0: Julio? Oh, man, as far as that goes, I, I hadn't thought about a lot. I
1: don't honestly. I don't know that he'll move. Like it's he's 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 a big contract and an older player to move, right? And and like obviously the the dream spots would of course be something like Kansas City or Green Bay. We can't guarantee that. Obviously, we don't we don't really have time for a speculative breakdown on how Julio would impact every team, except that he makes every team better. Uh, The Chargers have tons of cap room. Young quarterback who loves to go deep. That would be pretty fun. Tennessee literally has one receiver on the roster right now who requires game planning, so... Julio and AJ Brown would be great together. Clearly, Baltimore has plenty of cap space. They have a desperate need for an every route sort of number one receiver for Lamar. But it's a it's a really low volume passing game. So I don't I don't I don't even know what to root for. Do I do I root for one of those destinations where maybe the maybe the target total isn't great, maybe the the total number of pass attempts isn't great, but he would be the clear and obvious no doubt number one? Or do I root for him to be tied to you know Green Bay's offense where he can just beat up my Bears for the next? I don't know, four years until he retires. I have no idea.
0: I'm a bike fan. So when you said the the Packer thing, I was like, oh no, no, not, 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 he can't go to the Packers. Yeah, it's it's it's
1: hard, but I, I like I'm I'm just going to be on pins and needles basically until June uh, waiting to find out if he lands with uh, with Aaron Rodgers, because I, re- I really don't need to see that. I don't need any more torment that I've already received from the from the Packers over time. It's also one of those things that teams can't plan their draft around Julio being <laughs> available because I don't again, I don't think he gets dealt until we, until we get deeper into the summer, uh, if at all. So anyway, that's out there. Uh, You're all encouraged to daydream about your favorite Julio landing spots. Uh, Ain't nothing happening on that front anytime soon. Certainly not this week. Fun fact, uh, Julio Jones actually averaged 102 receiving yards per game uh, over six seasons from 2014 to 2019. Like I was I was digging through all these crazy Julio numbers and he's just I mean, he's on the shortest possible list of the greatest receivers of all time. And it's a little weird that he might be on the trade block, but uh, I also get it. Let's get to the draft. Let's get to your area of expertise. I want to be sensitive to your to your time. We have actually another rumor that's kind of percolating this week. And that is about the the Niners uh, perhaps being torn organizationally between this still seems weird to me because I don't actually have them, you know, not that I'm some draft expert or some college football expert, but I don't really have Mac Jones and Trey Lance all that close as as prospects. But they are apparently torn between those two players at number three. That is the reporting. Although obviously if if the teams GM and Kyle Shanahan are on one side of that argument, then that's the only opinion that matters you yourself thor have a a pretty decent sized gap between lance at number 7 i saw on the thor 500 and mac jones at number 30 so why don't why don't we start with you just giving us your quick take uh on the potential of these two guys
0: yeah i mean mac mac jones to me is a he's a really good system guy you know, last year he played for one of the great, and not just the, he played for the best head coach of all time. I and mean, that's just unimpe- unimpeachable statement. You know, last season you, saw, you know, when you're watching Alabama, you see the different machinations that are going on with Sarkeesian, You know, the like the pre-snap movement, getting guys in space. Uh, Mac Jones is his, you know, it, it's not just that Mac Jones is the least uh physically gifted you know, of, of the top five guys. And it's not just that he has the, the weakest arm of the top five guys and that he played for the best coaching staff of the top five guys with the best supporting cast of the of, <laughs> of, of the top five guys. It's also that he got, you know, just schemed into all these, you know, really advantageous situations that, that made him look really good. Like he had more, it was like 600 or more uh passing yards last year than the next highest guy in terms of yardage they got from throwing to open receivers. Uh the, the thing that you like about, you know, again, the the running that the scheme stuff, you know, the, the running the system type stuff in, in the first 10 yards beyond the line of screen, he, he's maybe the most accurate quarterback in this class. And the other thing I, I like mm-hmm. about him is he's good under pressure. So, so like those things are good. And he's, you know, again, he's going to execute the assignment. Um, you know, he's the field really well, pre-snap, you know, you, you always see him sort of directing traffic, that stuff's great. Uh, physical limitations, and also the the fact that his supporting—I mean, like the the you know the high tide rises all boats kind of a yeah. thing—he played behind the best offensive line in college football last year. They won the, the Joe Moore Award. He played for the you know with a receiver that you know had one of the seasons we've seen in the last twenty years, and in, in, in Devonta, and it, 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 it go on and on. You know, it, perhaps the one guy is going to be a first round running back in this. Harris, and then you know, et cetera, the the, the scheme as well. So you know, again, j- just the translation to the NFL. For me, it's like the best case scenario, you're praying that he becomes Kurt Cousins. You're hmm. absolutely praying. Um, I, more realistically, to me, the guy that I see more is Andy Dalton from TCU. I, I think those guys had a ton of similarities. That's my comp uh, for him is, is, is Andy Dalton. And you know, when, when you're talking about the difference between you know those, you know, you know him against Fields or Lands, it's you know those guys can break the game. Whereas Mac Jones is a guy who's you know it, 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 he's going to execute your your game plan. It's it's two totally different you know sorts of things um uh, as far as lance go is yeah to me the the ceiling is south of, of just lawrence in this class and that that be interesting debate when you're just talking pure ceiling the, the risk profile though is uh, not only is, is it big, it's it's also sort of unprecedented, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the same way that that this class presents uh, evaluators, uh, a lot of sort of unprecedented evaluation type scenarios. In Trey Lance's case, it's, it, this is truly where we're sort of an uncharted territory where a kid that only started uh, 17 or 18 games in the FCS is about to become a top 10 uh, draft pick in the NFL. And I believe, you know, I could be proven an idiot in just a little over 48 hours. I believe that that (laughs) San Francisco will take him at three. And not only that, Andy, to your point before about, you know, they're torn or reports are that they're torn. I don't I don't believe that. I I believe that they knew who the guy was the second they went up. And we'll see after the fact whether they're doubled down on their stupidity by trading three first round picks and a third round uh, pick for Mac Jones. And then telegraphed it to the media, as you mentioned. Generally, yeah. when you see those these reports coming out, it is a targeted thing. You know, we say smoke screens. Uh, last year, uh, Miami did this. You know, but, but Miami, the guys going to you know certain media guys and telling them right before the draft, a month you know heading in, we don't like. I, I know that we're on <laughs> the media for a year that our organization's obsessed with two. And that's we're lying to you guys. Then we actually love Herbert but don't tell anyone, you know, it, yeah. of course the media guys are like do, dolphins don't actually like Tua; they never did. You know, like we, we were all wrong. They, they actually love Herbert. And it's like, what, what? And that is totally different than what I thought. But, but of course it, it, they love Tua all along. You know, the, the reason they did that was to disincentive, you know, if, if, San, or San Diego, if the chargers, if, if LA who was sitting one slot behind them, happened to really like Tua, they wanted to incent, disincentivize a potential, you know, trade up two spots. So yeah. then they can they steal Tua from him. Um, it you know and and of course there, there would be reasons to do the smoke screens here but you know if, if those weren't smoke screens if they were actually telling Adam Schefter uh we're going to take Mac Jones which you know is basically what would need to happen for Adam Schefter to go on air a week later and be like the Forty ers are going to take Mac Jones and he did that yeah uh, if, it, if it's the truth it doesn't make any sense that but when you start to look at it as, as the potential smoke screen where they were sitting on Lance the entire time it starts to make sense and in, 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 you know when you're looking back at it if trey lance is the guy ev- there's going to be a moment for like everyone where it's like oh my god yeah they got us all exactly they, we didn't see it until the very end you know trey lance if you look at the the odds for the the one three slot you know you know any of these these books offshore that are, offer these things you know he was plus 700 like you know four weeks ago that it was like he, he snuck down to plus 400 then he was, snuck down to plus 250 he just kept coming coming yesterday got all the way to even money um he, that is where the tide is going uh, now. And again, I, I believe that it will be Trey Lance. And, and I think it was Trey Lance from the start. We'll see if, if that ends up, they may have fooled me too. They, they, they have fooled a lot of people on either side of this, you know, one way or the other.
1: You, You've, you've said a handful of things here that I that I want to I want to just sort of pause and and come back to. I think Andy Dalton is probably the right comp for Mac Jones. And I don't even think of that as a huge insult. Like Andy Dalton's had some Pro Bowl years. He's had some good years. I don't I don't think he's a player who who elevates you automatically, obviously, to a to a deep playoff run sort of team. But he's been a good player over multiple seasons, right? He's earned many contracts. Like he's a good player. I feel like that's appropriate to Mac Jones. Uh, we we've seen a bunch of absolutely inane. Like nobody should be making Tom Brady comps, right? Like that should just be a name that is stricken from the from the ledger of the. My opinion: of, they shouldn't be making Matt Ryan or,
0: or Phil Rivers comps either. You know, like right. the, the Tom Brady thing is just especially absurd, but the other ones are. are Absurd in the same way, you know. It's just it. It's it's not reality, you know. At, at least, what we, you know, it's not. It it doesn't fit that, you know.
1: I do think that you said um, something else about Jones that I find interesting and and that I, I don't like I think people automatically think that because it's Alabama and it just felt like a Death Star offense. And in many ways, it was a Death Star offense. They're just rolling over everybody. But we did see some games in which I mean, it's still the SEC and and Mac Jones did still feel pressure. So it's not like he wasn't exactly in the Zach Wilson situation, right, where there was just an ocean of space around him all of the time. And he's able to make plays you know, just, just absolutely without obstacle. Like it wasn't that, you know, you're, you're still, you're still facing as good a schedule as you can come up with that doesn't have your own team on it. Right.
0: Yes. And it's a great, great point, right? Like, you know, cause it's not a, a categorical thing of like, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit lower on him than the consensus. That, that's not a disqualified like we're yeah. just sort of talking about a, a, a watermark he would you know this is sort of a a backhanded you know slap of the face of a compliment but i think <laughs> he'll be one of the nfl's best game managers i yeah. like I, I really he doesn't make a lot of you know mistakes and then the, the point that you made uh you know in the sort of parsing there against the opponents yes you know against the quality opponents his, his play did not crater by the way Going back to Zach Wilson, his dead o- over his career. Oh, the Coastal uh, so Carolina
1: the- game was not necessarily pretty, right? And that was like the one quality defense I I want to say that he faced last
0: year. Yes, the the, the one. He had terrible strength of schedule, and it, you know the, the rubber meets the road on that evaluation where people, you know, that when he struggled in 2019, you know, thoroughly mediocre, and they they will say, well, you know, okay, but you know he was playing through two nagging injuries, okay. So and then and then he's, you know see you know Joe Burrow, right? Like you know it, it is possible from you know a guy who comes into the, the year seen as you know a, a priority udfa or a, you know a late round pick and and can elevate up but there's differences there um you know number one and number two there there's contextual reasons that make those two uh situations different uh joe burrow in his season dominated a procession of really yeah, good teams right. starting you know from the start like they, i think they opened with texas um and then from there uh, especially at the end of the season where it, 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 was, it was it was like this four game what should have been a gob but uh lsu turned the gauntlet they were the gauntlet for the gauntlet they they were just like you know putting teams in body bags like no one could you know it became this you know unstoppable you know sort of a thing whereas with 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 zilson again in in 2019 you know the other factor there it wasn't just the injuries which again is what they'll they'll point to he also played a decent schedule that year uh you know they played i think four power five teams And the fact they didn't this year, certainly not his fault in sort of an ironic way. He's one of the very few uh, prospects that was helped by COVID because that caused BYU to their schedule essentially got trashed. You know, they're an independent school and all the power five schools that were on there. They didn't play the out of conference games. And so those were all gone. And not only gone, there wasn't a possibility to, you know, to pick up someone else as, as far as a rescheduling thing. And so, you know, to BYU's credit, they did you know, they attempted to put together a full schedule and they, they got dang near there. I mean, including coastal Carolina, they'd scheduled that game on like 48 hours notice. Uh, but outside of coastal Carolina um, playing equality opponents, like, you know, the, 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 next best defense they faced was San Diego state. And then after that, you're talking about teams that are like 65 or worse. And and by the way, most of them a hundredth or worse. Uh, and so, you know, he, he, the, the situation he he had last year where you're playing behind um, by any measure, a top 10, uh, offensive line in the FBS, you mentioned all the, all the time he had, yeah. the way that he played too, it should have invited pressure. Um, but the the fact they didn't face any teams that had any defensive talent, and the fact that he was playing behind this awesome offensive line, which, you know, what you invariably hear from people is like, Oh, Wilson played with less talent you know, than, than these other guys. And it's like, well, Maybe, but the discrepancy between his supporting cast and the opponents he was playing was by far the most. It, it was even more than, than Trey Lance, you know, it, it, you know it, it, especially in, in 2020. Brady Christensen last year had the highest graded PFF season for an offensive lineman ever. <laughs> he broke Penn State's record from the year before, and and by the way, not just Brady Christian said they're going to have three other kids from that that offensive line that are going to be playing the NFL next year. And then you you, you think about his translation uh, to the next level. It, it's not just that I think the ceiling is a little bit lower than other people think. I also think the risk is higher in in you know this stuff. Um, the the discrepancy again between good opponents and bad. And I can give you a stat here in a second where I I, I use stats to to show sort of similarities between him and Drew Locke You know with with regards to this, but just the way you know even that he plays on the field um last year during that level up again again you know against all these crappy opponents the the way that you know w- you know people that watch his highlights you know you see that sort of swashbuckling thing you know where he's he's you know waiting 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 and then he's chucking it up that, that's the reason why when people want to make fun of him comps it's not like football it is the is, is sort of like the go-to derisive comp for him because you know Jotty football just started of around and then he he tossed it up and people were like oh my oh my god like we're seeing the second coming of fran tarkington and that, and like, and that was like no, six foot six mike, mike evans, evans like exactly uh, waiting for it you're yeah you're seeing mike evans he, yeah you're seeing one of the great rebounders of the past two decades in college football and you know joddy football just happened to be like a punter of a quarterback that was just you know it's like hey mike it's gonna be another punt return over to this guy you know he's <laughs> 500 or with your friends, you know, like Mike Evans would have won all those games. It's funny, when
1: people want to make a case for Zach Wilson, the comp that they throw out there for I I think because of, you know, some of these same reasons is uh is Patrick Mahomes, right? Which is also a ridiculous comp. It's not a fair comp. Um, because he just doesn't have the same sort of fundamentals that apply to everybody else, right? You know who and else got people... comp for Pat
0: Mahomes? Drew Locke.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know what well, I was going to say. And you've thrown out Drew Locke and Johnny Mansell, which I think are probably not two names that Jets fans want to hear. I want to switch now to uh, to the running back position. Um, one, one of the things, by the way, that I really liked about the, the sort of differences between your top 500 and your seven round mock was that you know, you were pretty realistic in terms of what's been rumored about guys so far, likely landing spots for certain players. Like it doesn't, your mock doesn't necessarily sync up with the top 500, right? It's not like what Thor would do for absolutely every team. There was a little bit of, you know, what what we think the teams themselves are actually going to do. Um, and and I, I find this running back class, I don't know, at the top seems pretty good. I don't think it's an all-time running back class. You can talk to us about that. You've got exactly one guy one running back inside your top 32 in this class. And it's not one of the players that we commonly see mocked uh, as the first back off the board, right? It's, it's not Harris. It's not ETN. Um, so talk to us a little bit about Javante Williams.
0: Yeah. So Javante Williams has been my, my RB one since, You know, I started putting the the rankings out, you know, February, I think was the the first running back one. But back then, like you mentioned, it was it was for sure that, you know, it was like seen as like the two guys were so far ahead of everyone else. There was Mm -hmm. a a teardrop. I disagreed with that. And, you know, you've seen some of the tides start to go for, um, you know, in the past month here, month plus. Now uh second on a lot of people's boards and he even moved to number one and they had like an update of their big, their final one, like a week ago or so. And he moved to RB one on in their board, which I, I thought was really interesting too. But, but just as far as that goes, like he's a couple years younger uh, than Harris. He's younger than ETN as well. You know, like he's, he's a very prospect, you know, it was, it was three years out of high school and he, he's in the draft um Naj is you know people might remember this could have you know, some people would argue should have been in in, in the last round but he actually ended up making one. Yeah, he, he did he picked up another you know a championship ring as well uh but, but you know just like the comparison between him and and, and nausea because they they share more similarities very difficult to tackle um you know Najee, it, it's sort of in a, a different way ante is more of the berserker kind of a thing where it's <laughs> Yeah, the natural power. Um, more like he's got more juice in that frame than than he ought. But where he really, really gets scary, it's like uh, he, he, who who's the guy in X Men where like he would like the the bad dude when he got to the end of the thing, he put his head down. He had like the helmet. The Juggernaut and he just charge in. Yeah. juggernaut. Exactly. <laughs> that's how, that's how that dude runs. It's like, he's already got the power thing, but when, when the more momentum he picks up, it's like he's getting plugged into a thermonuclear reactor and it, it you know, it, when he starts to go downhill, it gets scary, you know, and then defensive backs have to trim in space. When he's going downhill, it, it becomes a boulder situation. Uh, and if you want to really get said to this, it, it is short about a time. Check out the, the tape against Miami this year. Uh, I watched that game live, and it was unlike any rushing performance that I'd ever seen. Michael Carter dominated him that day. I mean, they, they, they both embarrassed him. But Javante in particular, the way he did it, it was it was like that juggernaut. He was just throwing people off him. It's like, dude, get out of my way. You know, like I, I got somewhere to be. And it, it, just <laughs> absolutely Absolutely ridiculous. William shattered PFF's record this past season for most broken tackles uh, per, you know, attempt, you know, g- going back historically. And then, you know, of course, he he finished with by far the most, you know, in in, in college this season. So, so you have that. Um, and, and by the way, you know, just can, as far we as can, the, the can rushing we, can goes. We pause on that for just a
1: second? Because it, it is the first stat that I, I think you commonly see around uh, around Javante is how many tackles he broke. Um, and it's really impressive. It's, it's also like the ACC is a great conference. It's not you know, you're, you're going to see Duke, you're going to see Syracuse. Like there's some opponents on the schedule that I don't even know what to do with, right? Like if you break 10 tackles against the 2020 version of Syracuse or Duke, how much should I care about that? And, and it's it's the conundrum that we have with like looking at Trey Lance, looking at Zach Wilson, looking at all these guys when there's a quality of competition issue. Like part of me wants to say, okay, but that's, that's you know, 10 times, 12 times that, that somebody actually got close enough to tackle you and they didn't do it. Because they're Duke defensive backs, but they're sure as hell going to do it in the NFL, right? So like, what should I do with that stat? How much should I care about that stat when I, I, I know there's a quality of competition issue?
0: like um you know any question that, that delves with you know numbers or analytics or, or stuff like that it's all about the context surrounding that, right so like we've seen these guys come you know the past couple of classes the guys that this evokes for me um is, uh, is Devin Singletary uh you know it, d- different kind of player for sure but he his season coming out of FAU he he led the nation and broke a tackle and then the next year Zach is Zach Moss was, Moss. Was, that's his stand. Um, yeah Exactly. Uh, David Montgomery had quite a bit at, at, at Iowa State as well. You know, there's certain, yes, you're right. I mean, like, you know, if, if Devin Singletary had had the, you know, athletic, you know, upper tier athleticism could run away from people, he, he certainly would have had less. You know, he, he's more of the, you know, try to catch the, kit, the chicken in the coop sort of scenario about, you know, with the evasiveness, whereas, you know, Javante is, is a little bit different. But, um you, you know, in, in those situations, yes, you, you have to consider the, the, the context, you know, that the stat came in. And, you know, you have to do the same with, with Javante, for you know, what I will say is, uh, Najee Harris ran behind the best offensive line in, in college football last year. They they won the Joe Moore Award. Um, he's you know playing with a you know super good quarterback, obviously. And you know, the, the outside guys that they had and say, but you know, we, we've already talked about those guys. And ETN, of course, he got to, his, his college career lined up very neatly with Football Jesus. Wow. He got yeah. to play next with Football Jesus for three years, yeah, and a, a really good offensive line, too. But by, by the way, if you if you look into ETN splits, uh, of his he, he averaged two yards or more, uh, running behind Jackson Carmen, who's going to be. A, a third round interior guy uh than he did running to the other side of, of the line which, oh, which i think good. is interesting yeah in, in talking about him yeah but like uh javante uh you know by by extension he he did have a good quarterback sam Hall's a very good quarterback in fact he, he could be qb1 next year and what's going to be a bad quarterback class um so they did have that but their offensive line was bad the other thing was his special sauce w- was it, it became reading in the approach reading the cutback lane better and, and knowing that precise second to stick the foot in the dirt and go the more often he gets to be on the line of scrimmage obviously the, the scarier he gets because that's where he can throw 100 miles an hour where you're going to need a couple guys when he gets to second level you need at least two guys to, to, to get those that are, guy down. I felt down. like those
1: are also situations in which sometimes he would he would you know again not that I'm the guy that you want breaking down all the, the, the film on college players but I felt pretty often when he got ahead of steam um, even when he was being tackled he was he was gaining four or five yards while going down (laughs) like like his balance was really impressive too
0: yes because there's the broken tackle guys he also has this thing of like um you know every single like you know one of the moves he does is like he'll reposition going down put his hand on the dirt you know that sort of thing and then put the ball, you don't think of it in the moment, right? But like when you watch his, you know, when all the plays are lined up and it's like every single play, in addition to all this stuff, he's stealing a yard, he's stealing two yards. You know, he'll pirouette a different you know, way when he's he's going down. So his momentum will be such, you know, again, stealing yards. It's, It's a really good point, man. Like he very rarely loses his balance, but when he knows he's going down in the exact same way, he will do whatever he can to even put the ball one yard above where it would otherwise be.
1: Yeah. And those are often, obviously, those are often, they become first downs, they become touchdowns. Like, he, I feel like he had three or four touchdowns that were a product of basically that, where a lot of guys go down at the one, they go down at the two.
0: So it's a Penny State, Penny Aaron kind yeah. of football, you know, you steal the inches where you can, you know, the Al Pacino the soliloquy at any given Sunday. <laughs> you know, we got to fight for those inches. You know, like, Javante's a guy that he, you're going to, look at that guy for that inch for you like that that's the javante you know what i mean i want
1: to i want to ask you about tight ends as well but i'm not gonna let you talk about the good one um like like i feel i feel like you know everybody said everything that needs to be said about kyle pitts no, I mean, he's, he's great. He's the clear number one. He's not just the consensus number one. He's like, you know, you look back historically, and he he's receiving some pre draft grades that not very many tight ends receive. So he's clearly the number one guy fantasy managers know all about him. Is there anybody beyond him? That fantasy managers should get excited about either short term or long term
0: yeah so um not so much Tommy Tremble you know like he's going to get drafted well above where he should be in fantasy um uh, because he's a crazy blocker you know he'll take care of anyone but as far as a fantasy thing not as much um he, he wasn't used as the receiving tight end there in either of his, his seasons uh so so i'd i'd stay away from him Hunter Long is very interesting to me um he he popped especially his last season um he's like more of like a um a Jay Sternberger type type tight end or Uh, you know mark andrews you know something like that uh as far as receiving uh early in his career he he was just, you know, stung. He was like a matador, you know, kind of thing. Okay, <laughs> you can go by. It, it, at the very least, um, you saw progression in that area of his game because earlier in his his career, he was miscast. He, he was playing for Steve Adazio, a guy who, you know, it's all heavy sets, but it's to run the ball, you know, Asia guy that they, you know, they had at the time. Um, and so th- you know, that's what he came up in, and it did help him to sort of flesh his game out to, to the point that he actually might be able to handle inline assignments, you know, in in the NFL. But where his his special sauce really is, it's it's catching that ball in the intermediate area, and he, he's got the, you know, we talked about Javante some, some of those, like, things that really stick out. W- one cool thing about uh, Hunter that, uh, you know, I, I sort of picked up on this past season when they switched offensive schemes, and they also got this kid named Phil Jerkovic, uh from Notre Dame, you know, a legitimate, you know, court that they had not had before. And so, you know, he was, you know, not, not only was he given the opportunities to go, you know, out on, on routes in the intermediate area, but, you know, catch the ball. The, the thing I love about him is catching the ball uh, full steam doesn't, you know, keep running, you know, the, them from, you know, receiver to to runner afterwards is it, something that that sort of reminds me of, of Sternberger and his mm. one year jumping up. So, so that'd be another guy. Brevin Brevin Jordan is a guy I would caution people against. Uh, I know that fantasy people, you know, that's a name that was has been ballyhooed for a bit. Uh, he was the number one tight end, you know, in his class coming out of Las Vegas. Uh, he is he is athletic and, and stuff like. I don't think he's as, as athletic as, as as people think. Uh, but the, the issue for him, it's it, he, there's a lot of similarities with Irv Smith there. I, I think he might be a slightly receiver and a. And a slightly worse blocker for smith but you know the other similarities people by the way love
1: earth smith love. Earth, I, I, I don't get it.
0: I, I live in Minneapolis. <laughs> I, I, I don't understand. But with Brevin Jordan, you'll notice uh, his his catch rate goes down. The further he goes away from the line of scrimmage, and the more often he is crowded at the catch point. I the, Receivers like that scare me. You know, the Kadarius Tonys and stuff like that. Uh, for a tight end that is not a good blocker uh, and is probably assuredly not going to be able to handle in line uh, at, at the NFL level, that is really concerning because he he has to just, it's, it's not against a tight End. It's his receiving ability against your best you know third receiver he has to justify taking that guy to the field that concerns me his his special sauce in Miami is catching the ball short and then he's a really good runner after the catch I don't know if he's ever going to be the the move tight end guy that is hurting defenses by catching the ball you know 15 yards downfield you know I I just I didn't see that much in in college so that's what concerns me about him
1: okay so Hunter Long remember the name BC kid um that's that's good information there uh I want to ask you as well I mean I like when Whenever I'm hosting a podcast and and we're we're talking about prospects, almost almost without regard to the sport, the Big Ten is is going to come up. Um, people generally know this, uh, so I want to get your takes on a Michigan receiver, Nico Collins, and an Ohio State back, Trey Sermon. Uh, Sermon also spent some time at Oklahoma. Collins, to me, is is maybe unusually interesting within the context of this draft class, which happens to not have a ton of height. At, at the wide receiver position among the top prospects, right? Like the top prospects are full of these like um, 5'11 and under guys who are probably going to be really good slot receivers, but there's not a lot of dudes who look like Collins, you know, 6'4". He's just, he's just there's Marshall out of LSU, and I, I, off the top of my head, I can't name anybody else who has that kind of size. So what do you think about these
0: two? And uh, just to your initial point, I, I agree with that. You know, this, this this receiver class, there are some similarities to last year's, uh, but, you know, I, I think last year's, it was same at the time, top sort of was a three headed monster and, yeah. and qualitatively, you know, uh, so, so this one actually is, is better, you know, just at, at the very, very top. But, I, you know, I agree with the take of like, it, it, it thins out a little bit as, as you go down. And also the, the specifically to the point of, uh, you know, guys that you could legitimately uh, project to potentially play X, you know, play a boundary receiver yeah. later on, y- you have a lot of the slot guys, whether they're athletic guys who haven't, you know, pe- you know, flashed yet for whatever reason, or whether guys that had 2.5, brass score, but like, you know, ripped it up at, you know, South Dakota state you know, or whatever. <laughs> Shout out to Kate Johnson. Uh, but, but, but anyway, you know, whether it's that thing, uh, Nico, your point's well taken. Uh, I, you know, it, it's a, it's a long rangy outside receiver who is also muscled up yeah. uh, and he plays with that muscle too. And you, you saw the, uh, n- not only the ability to get downfield in college, but make plays uh, down there. However, uh, you know, the, 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 the criticism of him is like, Oh, you know, Nico would disappear. Right. You know, we didn't get to see him in, in 2020, and you know before then you'd see these flash plays but like where would he go for two quarters <laughs> and my response would be like did you happen to catch the guy throwing him the ball Shea yeah. who had one of the most embarrassing combine throwing things I mean, like it wasn't surprising at all he's just sprayed the ball you know, 10 yards over people's heads or you know throw out a word burger uh, that's what Nico Collin, that's what we played with that his entire college career that, that's who was you know throwing him the ball and so yes he did disappear uh, but there was very few balls that hit him right on the hands uh, so you know when you're thinking about the, the ceiling thing that what he offers you you know from the physical package perspective and then you know just sort of extrapolating from some of these, these flash plays that we have seen um and then you know again i i give him i rank him higher than, than some other folks i i i bake in uh i don't know if you want to say credit or i um you know you know try to consider that context of who is throwing him the ball before when sort of addressing the thing of you know the drop off of stats or the drop off of of, of impacts you know in, in certain games because that is true uh but again like you know in, in his two years sample of playing it was it was with shea patterson is one of the most accuracy averse you know quarterbacks coming out of the power five here the past couple of years
1: he also he wouldn't catch a ton of passes and he'd still finish with like seven touchdowns like everything you know everything was like a 20 yard play and and like about one out of every five catches seemed to end in the in the end zone but again like to your point there just weren't a lot of catches there
0: for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I think you were hinting at this, but, you know, the the idea of like, you know, this class, there's a lot of profiles that we haven't seen before, you know, for various, you know, we mentioned it before with Lance. This is a different case, but, you know, it's similar in that, you know, you saw the high flashes, but then, you know, even when he's playing there sometimes when he disappeared and then you didn't see him his last season, right? And so it would have been really nice if, you know, especially if Michigan had a quarterback, and I thought they were good at for gave it with Joe Milton, but they did have a good quarterback last year either, so probably decent that, you know, Nico's probably okay that he opted out, but when you're thinking about that, you know, because in this class you have to do a lot of projection because, you know, you have less of the least valuable resource when you're evaluating these kids as far as the next level during this job application process that is the pre-draft process, which is their final season of tape. Uh, so you have to do more projecting in general. And I think, like, you know, this is, you know, a good example of that, but he he has the things that you want to see when when you are projecting that forward. He has the context to explain, you know, the disappearance act in in, in some games. Right. he also has the high-level flat. But by the way, also, he proved the concept of his athleticism. He already looks like he's already like the first receiver he'd send off the, the bus or, you know, however you say that. Uh, but then he, <laughs> he proved that he was, you know, the, the stud athlete and, you know, that, that we saw. So, you know, that stuff has been put to bed. As far as ceiling and not just ceiling, again, your, your point's well taken. So I want to repeat it. You know, later on, where this thing really thins out, it's with those boundary guys, right? Like even Bateman, like after him, it's like, oh man, we're, we're starting to drop off.
1: I, f- I feel like after Bateman, like the next three three. three or four guys project as is probably slot receipt. Like there's a lot of little guys in there.
0: Yes, for sure. Yes. That, that's right. And so I think in the middle rounds, what what will be available is slot guys that can come in immediately, you know, and and, and perhaps make an impact, you know, long term. Uh, but you know, where there's a dearth is that that outside guy. And that's what makes, you know, Marshall and Bateman interesting, you know, because when when those guys go off, then there's there's very few. And I think this is one of the reasons why you're gonna see Nico go above where you might assume heading in, because after that, there's not many guys that you could legitimately project to be, you know, boundaries here in the NFL. And then and then where are you at on, on Tracy? sermon because
1: you had a you had a comp for sermon that was that really spoke to me i really liked it oh yeah uh, joe mixon yeah you know yeah. just you know now, yeah I, i'll say some people hear joe mixon and they're like "Ew, joe mixon he burned me last year or whatever but like I, people have to remember that for years a staple of cincinnati's offense has been to put joe mixon in impossible situations behind the line of scrimmage and he still gets three yards out of it he's like a miracle worker on some gains that like on paper don't even look that impressive
0: Oh, that, yes, for sure. You know, that and uh, the well rounded skill set, in addition to being the guy that you know, can create, you know, on on his own with the the broken tackles. One of the comps that that Sermon got earlier in the process was Marshawn Lynch. Uh, His, you know, the manifestation Mm. of that sort of thing, it doesn't quite get to the beast mode thing. Like his is more of a, he's, you know, Sermon's is like a refined kind of a thing, Uh, but the broken tackles are there, Uh, the versatility, you know, receiving, um, you know, and stuff like that, making plays, you know, in in space with the ball afterwards, Uh, he's got all that stuff. Um, He can pass block as well we've seen it with him over a course, of a couple of years, you know, at the end of the season, it really, you know, sort of, you know, coalesced and everything, but we'd seen those flashes at Oklahoma, you know, going back and, you know, early when he'd been on the field and that was his first, you know, chance, you know, the latter part of his career to really, you know, be able to, you know, for a couple of games carry the load and just absolutely dominated, you know, Northwestern and Clemson.
1: Yeah, um, had like a million yards against Clemson and a billion against Northwestern over th- over 300 yards against Northwestern, which was actually a pretty good defensive team within the context of the Big Ten. So uh, how how close is Sermon to like the the big three running backs for you?
0: There's a little bit of a drop for me after ETN uh, to him, but it's, yeah. it's probably not as big as people would assume. I actually have ETN a bit lower, uh, you know, than some other folks. And then I, I have Sermon a, a bit higher. But I would agree that there is a drop, um, but you know, for me, it's like ETN's like a you know mid second round guy, and, and Sermon's more of like a late uh, second round type guy.
1: All right, folks, uh, huge thanks by the way to Thor for joining us today. He's a wealth of knowledge. You've heard it; um, just absolutely terrific getting a chance to to talk to you here. Thank you for joining us. Little programming note: uh, Liz, Matt, and Dalton will be taping late on Thursday night after round one, probably uh, after a few beverages, I would guess. Uh, so look for that pod. Early Friday morning, Scott Pianowski and I will be in your ears late Sunday night, early Monday morning, recapping rounds two through seven. You can follow Thor on Twitter. He's at Thor You must check out his Thor 500 on NBC and the seven round mock. Uh, if you're looking for college talk, follow the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and Pat Forty from SI. Also, check out Post It Up with Chris Haynes. His guest this week was Dr. J. It's ridiculous, an idol of mine um, growing up because I'm an ancient person. Anyway, check that out. Uh, check us out on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Andy Barons. He, one last time, is at Thor KU. We are produced by at Brett Raider. That is it. We are out.